Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where number one, LSU, remains undefeated, and we're not going to let you forget it, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where a crypt was recently found beneath the Arkansas School for the Deaf. Students will be researching the history of the school and archaeologists will begin testing in January 2020 to determine when the crypt was placed and to identify the persons interred there. Thank you for joining us for Episode 38 of Clear and Convincing. Tonight, in Part 1, we'll talk about the issues raised on social media in media articles and documentaries that advocates for Rodney Reed claim prove his innocence in the April 23, 1996 rape and murder of Stacey Lee Stites. After 10 months, Reed was identified as a suspect when it was found that his DNA was consistent with the unknown DNA found in and on Stacy's body. Reed claimed a secret relationship with Stacy after initially saying he didn't know her. In May of 1998, Reed was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death after several victims of prior sexual assaults testified against him. As always, we are a live show and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, Lisa. And I'm so glad you decided not to mention the fact that my Arkansas Razorbacks are playing your LSU Tigers this weekend. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't think I'd rub that in. But, yeah. you know, I will mention it next week. You know the line is like 47 points, like the biggest line in the history of the SEC. It's pretty sad. Yeah, the Razorbacks are not doing well this season. I I was just so happy we beat Alabama. Honestly, so am I. But, you know, I don't know how much you keep up with it, but, uh, you know, definitely thoughts and prayers go out to the quarterback for Alabama, to a tug of Iowa. Uh, his career, his uh, playing career, at one point they were thinking he was going to be the number one overall draft pick in the NFL, but his playing days may be over after a uh, hip injury this past weekend, so definitely uh, got to feel Oh, no. I, yeah. I hate to hear about stuff like that. 
Because that is hard, especially in college. Policy and stuff, which he does. They didn't mention that he has the Lloyd's of London policy that'll pay him uh, quite a large sum of money if he's not able to play anymore. But, you know, you still got to hate it for the kid because he's worked his whole life to get to the to get to this April and then something like this happens. But what can you do? Yeah. But and and hopefully he has still you know built himself a good foundation in college in the event that he couldn't play. Because you oh, never yeah, know definitely. what's going to happen, you know. Absolutely. And by all indications, the young man is uh, quite an impressive individual, you know, all about charity and so on and so forth. So I'm sure he's got his head on straight and, you know, was paying attention in class and all that good stuff. So I'm sure he'll mm-hmm. be fine, but definitely hate to hear anything like that, especially, you know, a young kid uh, with all these dreams and aspirations of playing in the NFL. And now, you know, it may be done for, but we'll see what happens. Right, right. All right, well, let's uh, let's get on with the show tonight. We've got a lot of material. Um, first of all, just to kind of fill everybody in, we, we had a little glitch last week. Um, and so there is there was some new stuff that's now moot for Rodney Reed, uh, but there is some new stuff. Um, his Section 1983 claim related to denial of DNA testing in state court has been dismissed by the federal court with prejudice. Prejudice. Uh, so it cannot be refiled. Um, I will have to get a copy of the order or the uh, the order that lists the reasons. Uh, I didn't have access to that over the weekend, um, but I'll get a copy of that and kind of go over the reasons tomorrow night. And then also, as everybody has heard, he did receive a stay of execution uh, by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals based on claims made in his 10th state writ, which I believe is the 11th overall. In Texas State Court. Right. And right. those claims will be the topic of tomorrow night's show. Yeah, pretty much everybody's heard that at this point, you know, and then the celebrities and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, right. I'm going to go ahead and ask you this right off the top, just in case, you know, you mentioned that certain section of the uh, Facebook population may be listening. Uh I mean, just for our listeners, what are the chances that uh, this day, that the Supreme Court may lift this stay? Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. The stay was granted by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. That oh, is the highest court in Texas in crim- for criminal cases. They deal solely with criminal cases. The Texas Supreme Court does not deal with criminal cases at all. The U.S. Supreme Court, uh, there is no, it would be discretionary if the state wanted to appeal it, and there's no guarantee that the U.S. Supreme Court would even weigh in on it, uh, because it's a state court decision regarding a state court writ. Okay, so the and, state still has avenues 
floor. Right. And to, well, to make it clear, the Court of Criminal Appeals is not saying he's innocent. The right. Court of Criminal Appeals is saying that he's presented claims that meet the requirements of Texas post-conviction statutes. So he is entitled to go back to state court, have hearings, call witnesses, develop a record as to those claims, which gives the state the opportunity to cross-examine the witnesses as well as bring in its own witnesses to refute claims Uh made by Reed. And then a judge to issue findings of fact and conclusions of law. And then the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals will review that. If the judge recommends relief be denied, the Court of Criminal Appeals will review it. And if they agree with the the district court judge, they'll deny the, the writ or They'll deny the writ as to the claims they remanded and dismiss the rest of the claims. So, Lisa, we all know, you know, how the celebrities and everybody else has reacted. Uh, Has there been any reaction from uh, Stacy's family? Uh, You know, a few people uh, that knew Stacy are posting on a Facebook page that I joined uh, called Justice for Stacy Stites, and they're a little disappointed, and they they were a little bit upset Friday when the news first came out. But I think you know, thinking about it, uh, they've come to see this is part of due process. Let's give Reed this due process, and then he can't complain about the courts not giving him a quote fair shot. Because he came in with last-minute claims from witnesses who stayed silent for 23 years, who didn't report things during the murder investigation in 1996, and yet the Court of Criminal Appeals gave him the opportunity to develop those claims. Well, and Lisa, it kind of surprises me. I guess it shouldn't surprise me that they're disappointed, because obviously I would be disappointed too. But uh, it kind of surprises me that they didn't see this coming because I remember even in, uh, you know, the interest of candidness, I remember us having conversations and you told me this isn't going to be the one. This isn't going to be the time that uh, he's executed, or at least you didn't think so. Correct. I I believe that this one, uh, I thought that the more likely stay would be from the 1983 civil rights claim um, but uh, you know like I said the, the, he he did file the new writ with the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals at the last minute because he mm-hmm. filed it on the 11th when his you know date of execution is only nine days away or the 12th um, so but, you know, that'll come to an end because it came to an end with Swearingen. I think one of Swearingen's last writs before his execution, not the writs filed trying to stop that execution, but another prior, uh, well, actually it was the, the order or the opinion after that writ. 
And one of the judges remarked, he, he comes in at the last minute with facially appealing claims that go nowhere. Now, Lisa, uh, I know obviously we got to get into the case because there's a lot of cover here, but I do want to ask you one more question before we hop in. I remember, sure. uh, I remember last time that uh, when Arkansas was doing all them executions that they said sometimes courts uh, will grant stays just so they can review, have a chance to look at the claim. Is that what this Correct. is, or actually saying that these claims may have merit and we need to have a separate uh, hearing for them? Well, it it varies. Process is going to vary from state to state. I think in Arkansas, um, well, no, they remand. Some states like Glossop, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Supreme Court or Court of Criminal Appeals, I can't remember which one, they're the ones that actually look at the post-conviction writs. Uh-huh. And if they need hearings or development, then they remand it to the court for development. Um, I'm trying to think so of a, a court that actually does the post-conviction and doesn't doesn't involve the trial court. I can't think of one. But yeah, they're they're saying what they're what Go they're ahead. saying is he's raised claims that may have merit. So if you're Rodney though, and you uh, and you know you've never won in this court, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, he hasn't won anything in this court besides this, you know, stay, quote unquote. He won't be executed tomorrow. Is what's the game plan? What's the game plan for the defense at this point to try to? figure some other way to get out of this court because I mean at this point it doesn't take a No, there's no there's no <laughs> No. There's no getting out of this court. He's going back to Bastrop District Court because he was tried in Bastrop District Court. He can't get so, out of Texas Court of Criminal Appeals because he committed a murder and is convicted in serving a death sentence in time. Texas. There's no getting out of any court or any – no other court, no other location has jurisdiction. So then, like, they're pretty much the deck still stacked against them as far as this goes. Uh, well, no, I mean, that's the – this is the problem is that we're, we're being fed this uh, line that, you know, the court is against him, the deck is stacked against him. It's not. He has had three prior state post-conviction hearings where he has been able to call whatever witnesses he wants to call to present his claims and to have them reviewed. The reason he wasn't granted relief on those claims is not because the court didn't like him. It's because what he presented was not sufficient to entitle him to relief of either a new trial – or whatever. So, no, there's no court stacked against him. In fact, this stay proves it was filed nine days before the execution. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals could have said, too late, too bad, so sad, denied. And in fact, he filed a stay request. He filed a stay request a couple of weeks ago in the Court of Criminal Appeals, and they did deny it without an order. 
But well, that's because he had no claims pending. I guess I misspoke. What I meant to say was, and I guess I can equate it to sports a little bit. Uh, for him to win this, I guess it would be kind of like a mild upset uh, because, you know, you got to think he's never gone in there and got a W. Uh, what's the game plan to go in there and get a W? Like, are they going to completely change the game plan, or how are they going to – what's the thought? No, they they, they really can't. You know, the, their case is going gonna, is gonna to basically – they're going to have to present credible witnesses, and there's one strike against all of these new witnesses because none of them reported any of this information – during the original murder investigation in 1996 when Fennell was the prime suspect and Rodney Reed wasn't even a blip on anybody's radar. Right. And like I said, we'll talk about the claims he's raised tomorrow in more detail. I don't want to go off on that rabbit hole tonight. Right. (laughs) So... Let's let's stick a pin in this, and then tomorrow night we'll talk about that. And, of course, we'll also have Mr. Phillips, who is a criminal defense attorney in Texas in Williamson County. He's got 25 years' worth of experience in state and federal court, felony and misdemeanor. He's tried 200 jury cases mm-hmm. and resolved more than 3,000 felony and misdemeanor uh, cases in state and federal court. So he can kind of give us an idea. And maybe, you know, maybe he can uh, give us a strategy. I think their sole strategy is going to be to take as long as possible to get the court, district court hearing scheduled and drag that process out as much as they they possibly can. So you think this is just another run in the clock thing? It's most definitely another run in the clock thing. Okay. But we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Okay, sweet. And then finally, the last bit of of updated information that I have, Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has postponed the conference on Reed's writ that was scheduled for Friday the 15th. That conference is now set for November 22nd, which is next Friday. Or this Friday. More likely than not, they got word about the stay, and Mm -hmm. so the, uh, the time, it was not as critical that they review it and decide on the writ on Friday. Um, So I don't think that they're going to take it because it's an appeal of the 7th and 8th or the 8th and 9th state writs that Reed filed. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that they're going to look at it. It's the first time he's filed a, a request to the U.S. Supreme Court to even review the denial of a state post-conviction writ. Okay. So. So that is, that's all the updates. And like I said, tomorrow I'll talk about why the federal court dismissed the 
civil rights claim related to denial of DNA testing. Okay. Okay. Well, (laughs) let's go through what we already know. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The murder of Stacey Lee Stites occurred on April 23rd, 1996. Uh, The Evidence that we have based not only on statements from her fiance, but also from her mother, Stacy Lee was working a 3.30 a.m. shift at the Bastrop HEB to earn an extra 50 cents an hour to help pay for the expenses she was incurring uh, for her wedding to Jimmy Finnell, which was scheduled for May 18th. She would leave her apartment with a glass of water or a glass of juice at around 3 o'clock in the morning. It was a 35-mile drive from Giddings, where she lived, to Bastrop. She would take uh, a route into Bastrop, which included a set of train tracks very near where Rodney Reed lived at the time. The Bastrop HEB a co-worker was waiting for her to arrive that morning. She never arrived. He went in, started work, and then later in the morning got one of the managers to look up her emergency contact, which was her mother. They contacted her mother and asked if Stacy was at home, and Stacy wasn't. She was reported missing at around 8 or 9 in the morning. Jimmy Finnell went to Bastrop. He went, drove the route looking for the truck that Stacy was driving. She was driving his truck. Uh, didn't find it. Went to the sheriff's office. Uh, I think he also made a missing persons report with them because they weren't sure whether something, something had happened in Giddings or in Bastrop. Um, his friend Curtis Davis took the time off and stayed with him. They ended up going back to Giddings. Um, around 3 o'clock that afternoon, at well, okay, back up a little bit, at 5.23 in the morning, before anybody knows Stacy didn't return to, didn't show up for work aside from her co-workers, uh, the truck she was driving was found in the Bastrop High School parking lot, which is less than a mile from Rodney Reed's residence, right along yeah. the train tracks that Rodney Reed frequented at that time of night all the time. So um, it's then the truck is 35 miles from Giddings. It's an eight-hour walk back to Giddings. Um, The truck is found. There's a belt and a pen and I think a napkin or a piece of paper found on the ground right outside the truck. However, there are signs of struggle inside the truck, and it's entirely possible that those items were displaced, and then when the person got out of the truck, he knocked them out of the truck. Right. Uh, Around 3 o'clock that afternoon, a gentleman who was there to do an appraisal in that area pulled over to the side of the road. He was a little early. He wanted to pick wildflowers for his wife. And he found Stacy's body. She wasn't wearing a shirt. She had a bra on. Her pants were open, and the zipper was broken. 
Her underwear were bunched around her hips. She was lying on her back. She had ant bites on her hands and I think her arms. Um, She also had been in the direct sunlight since dawn. And by this time, it's about 3 in the afternoon. Um, So there was some red coloration on her face and her shoulder and her one of her arms. Um, she, the DPS came out, DPS collected evidence from the body at the scene. Then she was taken to Travis County Medical Examiner's Office. And that, that's where the autopsy was performed. Um, okay. for 10 months, Jimmy Fennell was the prime suspect. However, they never developed probable cause to get a warrant to search the apartment that he shared with Stacy. And under the Fourth Amendment, potential crime scene is not an exception to the requirement for a warrant signed by a judge based on probable cause. Right. Um, last place a victim is seen is not an exception to the Fourth Amendment. And the fact that somebody's a prime suspect is not probable cause under the Fourth Amendment to get a search warrant. So they did drop the ball in never searching the apartment, but they never developed information that would have given them the probable cause to get a warrant to do so. Right. So really, can you say and they dropped the ball they didn't have the ability? They could have asked for consent. Consent can be withdrawn. If they find incriminating evidence of anything, and it's not just even if they found no incriminating evidence in the murder, but they happen to find pot in the apartment. Right. There's probable. That's still a crime. <laughs> you know, that would be <laughs> that that would get Jimmy Fennell arrested because pot's illegal in Texas. Right. Um, that makes sense. And I don't think in 96 they had the discretion that they have now. Because a lot of times now they'll confiscate the pot, they'll write you a paraphernalia misdemeanor ticket, and let you be on your way. But uh, I don't think they have that. And he was a law enforcement officer on top of that, so you know it would have looked bad. Um, yeah. But consent can be withdrawn. The uh, the truck was processed for six days, and then returned to its owner, who was Jimmy Finnell who naturally did not want to have anything to do with it and signed over the title and had his daddy take it to a dealership and traded it in on a new vehicle. Um, We'll get into that a little bit later. So for 10 months, he was the prime suspect, but they never developed any information that led them uh, to be able to file charges or get warrants or do anything of that nature. And then in... November of 1996, Roddy Reed attempts to abduct a young woman by the name of Linda Schluter. She escapes. She describes his clothing to an officer who had just seen Rodney Reed wandering around wearing the same clothes described by Linda Schluter, and he met the description given by Linda Schluter. So he became a suspect in that, and then they right. thought, well, what about Stacy Stites? Because it's in the same area. 
It's around the same time of night. And it's almost the same scenario, except that this victim was able to get away. So they asked if there was a DNA sample at DPS, crime lab, and they did have a sample from a rape of a former girlfriend of Rodney Reed who declined to press charges, and they found that the DNA from that case was from the same person as the DNA found in and on Stacy's body. It's also very important to remember that during this 10-month period, no one mentioned Rodney Reed's name to police investigating Stacy Stites' murder. Mm-hmm. And when initially questioned, Rodney Reed said, I don't know her, never heard about her, only know what I saw on TV. Right. And only after he found out about DNA evidence did he say that they were involved in a secret relationship, but because he was black and she was white, they had to keep it quiet. Although, as we'll discuss a little later, some of the things that they were doing were not exactly keeping it quiet. So that is basically it. Reed was arrested. He was tried. Uh, He was convicted and sentenced to death. Okay, so let's go into a little bit about the advocates for Rodney Reed who are uh, the ones spearheading this social media, celebrity, media article, documentary campaign. Yeah, we're going to have free Rodney Reed. We're going to have we're going to the first Yeah. The first is his family, uh his mother Sandra, his brother Roderick, Roderick's wife whose name I I escapes me at the moment. I apologize. I don't remember her name. Yeah. And um his late father, Walter Reed. Uh, they were the they're the most visible vocal members of the family. Right. Which I mean, um, let's be fair, you know, a man's family is obviously, you know, gonna have to back to a certain extent at least. Correct. Uh, then there is a gentleman by the name of David Fisher. Uh, He's from Elgin, or was in Elgin for a time. Uh, He got involved in this case, and basically he is a person who sees a lot of conspiracies. He thinks that none of the medical examiners or judges in Texas are authorized to do what they're doing. Um, Have a lot of problems with medical examiners and judges. Um, he's one of those people that takes a statute and reads it and then doesn't look beyond that statute for the interpretation. And he likes taking, he's not real, he's not real big on context. He likes to take a piece of information and harp on it and ignore the context. 
which we'll get into also later. Then there's Ryan Polomsky, and I think basically he is he was a film student in Austin at UT. He apparently hooked himself up with David Fisher and made a film for school that became the documentary State versus Reed. Uh, he's also recycled and regurgitated some of that content and added some new content for uh, another six-parter on uh, YouTube called The Plea for Justice. Right. Um, he, uh, from what I can tell, he doesn't understand the legal system, but thinks mm. he does. Right. And so um, it, it's just it, he makes a lot of conclusory allegations and conclu- conclusory statements. And sometimes what he's talking about has absolutely nothing to do with Rodney Reed's guilt or innocence. Then there's right. Bryce Benjet. He is an attorney with the Innocence Project. I think he started with Texas Defender Service. He started representing Rodney Reed in 2002. And because of that, he there's a lot of things that he claims that he should know better than to claim in media articles and interviews because he's actually actively misrepresenting information. Well, let's be honest. Bryce is a friend of the show, of course. We we, we just love Bryce on the show. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> And he he's already got one strike with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal, mm-hmm. so he needs to be careful because <laughs> they're they're probably not going to give him too many more strikes. Uh, and then there's Kevin Gannon. He's a former NYPD officer uh, or detective. Um, mm-hmm. He's going around uh, making a lot of pronouncements about cause of death, time of death. Uh, lividity, rigor mortis, mostly what he's interpreted from pictures and from video and autopsy reports. And he doesn't seem to have a, a very firm grasp on context either. And he's, you know, like I said, he's, he's making pronouncements about cause of death and time of death. He's not a medical examiner, he's not a doctor. I don't care yeah, how much experience he has as a homicide detective or a, a sex crimes detective. He's not a doctor. Even a he's not qualified to render opinions about cause or time of death. Without seeing actual body, right? Correct. He didn't see the actual body. Right. So what I'm saying is, um, and no and one other thing that I have to, one other thing that I have to, I have to get into again and as well. Like Fisher and Polomsky, he has no objectivity. These people are not objective. They claim to be objective, but he's not objective. He got information from David Fisher and ran with it for right. an A&E special called uh, uh, Dead Man Talking, which was right. the the media campaign prior to Reed's first execution date. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But he, David Fisher is not a medical examiner, a doctor, 
has no investigative experience. He holds himself out as a a private investigator, but the only other case I know of that he's been involved in is a civil suit against Sandra Reed, which has her on the hook for a $25,000 judgment. Right. Thanks to David Fisher's help. Uh, or, you know, because there was no help from David Fisher in that case. Um, Wonderful. So they, they're not objective. They they believe him to be innocent, and so their goal is to make sure that everybody believes he's innocent, and there's no room for debate. Uh, another weird idea that David Fisher has is that trial testimony, you have to go out and confirm that it is, quote, true before forming an opinion. But again, we'll get into that a little later. Uh, then there are several cousins of Stacy's. Um, I don't know where or why this came about. Um, they just have decided that they believe that Jimmy Fennell killed Stacy and Rodney Reed's not guilty, and so they're advocating for Rodney Reed. They, too, are out there spinning misinformation, however, because in a letter to Governor Abbott, they referred to a, quote, secret or sealed affidavit Signed by Carol Stipe, Stacy's mother, mm-hmm. uh, that Jimmy was a violent man. There was no sealed affidavit. There's a statement from from Carol Stites in the police reports, and maybe that's what they're thinking about. Right. But it doesn't say he was violent. Hmm. Um, there are some notes from Carol that are presented out of context. Mm-hmm. But I don't think those even say he's violent. So, you know, like I said, they, they, they're referring to a sealed affidavit that she signed for Rodney Reed that doesn't exist. Right. Uh, and then there, of course, is Dr. Phil, who devoted two hours of his show to give the Innocence Project-approved version of the case to present... Okay. Information that has been presented and has not been decided in Reed's favor, such as the alleged alibi. So, um, what I don't understand about this, Lisa, literally the Dr. Phil thing blows my mind. Because in, I don't know how long he's been on the air, but... In those many, many years that he's been on the air, because I was still in high school, I think, when his show began, or if not before. Um, yeah. I don't believe he's ever done anything like this. So, he did it with Richard Glossop. Did he mention what made him personally decide that Rodney was innocent? Well, the... The impression that I got is Benjet reached out and contacted Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil looked at what Benjet provided, and then Dr. Uh-huh. Phil decided, well, by golly, he's innocent. And didn't do any independent research or look at it. He didn't look at a single court opinion because he presented things on his show that a, quote, jury never heard that 
no, the jury didn't hear him because Rodney Reed's attorneys didn't present him, but a an appellate a, a post conviction court has heard him and did not find in Rodney Reed's favor. Did not find that it would have changed the outcome of his trial. And given the DNA evidence, there isn't a whole lot that's going to change the outcome of Rodney Reed's trial. Right. Has he talked to Rodney? Oh, he interviewed him. and Oh, yeah, he interviewed him and held himself out as a human lie detector. Um, I'll I'll send you a link tomorrow. I appeared on Roberta Glass's True Crime Report. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit of, about the Dr. Phil episode. Okay. I'll send you that to have a listen. <laughs> okay. So, and then he's also now got Dr. Lee Gil- Gilbertson, who's a partner with Kevin Gannon. He's not objective. Cyril Wecht, Michael Bodden, Werner Spitz, they're not objective. They are, uh, and I think they're doing the biggest disservice in this case because they are exceeding the bounds or limitations of forensic pathology because they're declaring that the state's case is medically and scientifically impossible and medical examiners and they're declaring Rodney Reed innocent. And it's like, you're, you're a medical examiner. You have no direct information. You cannot declare Rodney Reed innocent. You cannot declare something medically and scientifically impossible, especially given that Michael Bodden thinks that the zipper on Stacy's pants was broken when she put them on. That it's not a broken zipper on a pair of pants is not indicative of a sexual assault or a potential indicator of a sexual assault. Hey, Lisa, not to go backwards or anything, but uh, my lovely girlfriend here, Haley, just brought up a good point, and it made me think about something. So she informed me that, uh, and you probably know this, but Dr. Phil doesn't have a doctorate, she said. So minus him being a member of, or a celebrity or a member of the media, what gives him any sort of intellect or what makes him credible in this case? Well, nothing. I mean, you know, well, even if he did have a, even if he did have a PhD, he, that wouldn't make him any more credible. Right. Uh, because, you know, he's, he's taking very limited information and making his determination, holding himself out of, as a human lie detector, which to me completely destroys all credibility. Um, and, you know, he claims, oh, I asked him hard questions. He didn't ask him a single hard question. I would have said, what was Stacy's favorite color? You were in a relationship. What was her favorite song? And I would have known the answers to those questions. Yes. And when I started asking those kind of questions, I would imagine Rodney Reed would have stood his ass up and walked out. Because if you're not going to softball him, he ain't going to talk to you. Right. 
it's good for ratings, I guess. Yeah, it was good for ratings. And it, you know, it keeps his, uh, oh, he does, he has a doctorate in clinical psychology, but he's not licensed to practice. Well, I mean, you know, the guy's probably pretty desperate for ratings, seeing as how the Catch Me Outside girl is uh, not around anymore. So, yeah, and I think this is 18th season. Well, you know, he got his start with, with Oprah. And, you know, he fills a void that Oprah left when she uh, when she hung up her microphone. Right, right. So, um, so that's basically that's the the cast of characters advocating for Roddy Reed. Um, you know, I've engaged with David Fisher, and I've engaged with members of Reed's family on social media. Uh, the members of Reed's family just blocked me, and then send little minions out periodically to say, well, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing? Um, They can be extremely obtuse and they have no better grasp on context than other people, (laughs) than Reed's family and David Fisher. Uh, And David Fisher, and, and I likened it at one point, I think talking to Roberta, Dealing with these claims on social media is a lot like whack-a-mole. Every time you think you smacked one down, another one pops up somewhere else with something totally unrelated. Right, and it's probably even crazier. The cra- or it probably gets crazier and crazier. And, and they're, they're never able to acknowledge when you do make a point. Uh, they just ignore it. And they also like to put words into people's mouths. So kind of, you know, make the absurd argument and say this is what you're arguing, and it's absurd when right. that's not what I'm arguing at all. Um, right. But, you know, that's because they can't, they can't argue logically and reasonably. And I have yet to find one who can. Well, and plus, let's be honest, they're not exactly... Although, I, I, I take that back. Excuse me, I take that back. There was somebody on Reddit who was at least able to, to be pretty civilized, although the last response that I, I made to her, she has not, or he has not responded. So, but yeah, they're, most of them just can't. I was even in a Twitter war, I told you last week. Right, right. Well, I mean, I definitely enjoy uh, Reddit. There seems to be the largest number of uh, people that can engage in a spirited debate without uh, getting butt hurt, but it's certainly interesting. <laughs> yeah, so... All right, so let's start with some of the uh, issues raised by Advocates for Reed, and we'll talk about them. Uh, you might hear names over and over again a couple times because they, they come up in different contexts. 
and and for different reasons. Uh, first of all, the general theme, the biggest general theme is conspiracy and cover-up. Because Jimmy Finnell was a police officer, the police officers that he didn't work with in a town that he didn't work in, who didn't know him from Adam because he didn't grow up in Bastrop, uh, basically let him get away with murdering his girlfriend or fiance because he was a cop. And they did this by not searching the apartment where he lived with Stacy. Even though the context of all the information that we have, she left that apartment at 3 o'clock in the morning. He didn't see her leave because he was asleep, which is not unusual when two people live together. Only those two people can vouch for one another. You're not going to have Joe Blow out on the street that can vouch for either one of them. Because they live in an apartment without anybody else. Um, Miss Stacy's mother also heard her leaving at around 3 o'clock in the morning. Because it was her mother's habit to kind of stay awake to hear Stacy leave to make sure she got to work on time. Her mother also only heard one set of footsteps going down the stairs. She didn't hear one set of footsteps and then footsteps going back up and then footsteps coming back down again. Just one time at 3 o'clock. And her mother was familiar with her habits of leaving and going to work for 3.30 in the morning. Right. So her mother corroborates his statement. And one would think that if he really had killed her, he would say, oh, yeah, we talked. And everything was fine. And I watched her leave and I waved as she drove away. And it was exactly 2.58 in the morning. Um, rather than, you know, that's what time she usually left, but I was asleep. I don't know for sure, you know, but the light in the kitchen was on when I got up and, and her glass wasn't there. There were signs of struggle in the truck and there was a broken glass in the truck. Again, elements that are consistent with her leaving the apartment to go to work at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, that's that. And then, uh, of course, Ed Salmella was a Bastrop City Police detective or officer. Um, He participated in the investigation, but he wasn't a lead investigator. They portray him as a lead investigator, but he wasn't the lead investigator. The lead investigator was Rocky Wardlow from the Texas Rangers, because guess what? The Texas Rangers became involved while Stacy was still missing because... Uh The jurisdiction between Lee County and Bastrop County, they weren't sure what happened where. And Texas Rangers have resources all across the state. So, and as it turns out, because her fiance is a police officer, it's a good idea for Texas Rangers to come in because they're an independent law enforcement agency employed by the state of Texas, not a county or a municipality. Um, 
so uh, he was in August of 1996. He resigned from the Bastrop City Police Department because charges were getting ready to be filed against him for terroristic threats against a former girlfriend. Apparently, when their relationship ended, Ed Salmella was calling her a lot, leaving messages, not quite handling it well. He was apparently seeing a psychiatrist because he had been prescribed some um, psychiatric medications, which were in his system when he died. Um, He had made plans to go take his dry cleaning, pick his dry cleaning up. He got cash, about $600. He told people he was going to Louisiana to gamble and see some other woman. And then he went in his apartment. Neighbors saw him go in, closed the door, and then the neighbor heard a few minutes later a gunshot. Because apparently in his mail was a letter from the former girlfriend that was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. And that's not really uncommon with suicide. People, especially police officers, put on a brave face and pretend that nothing's bothering them. Uh And then the one thing that's just the last straw for them, and it's it's an impulsive decision that they make. Um, there's there's hearsay from the neighbor about trying the door when he heard the gunshot and the door was locked and he called dispatch and when he came out the door was open and a bunch of bastard police officers were near the door but they don't provide us with those reports to see for Uh ourselves that that's really what happened Um, so that's hearsay right Uncorroborated, uh, and it, it's it's being prom, uh, offered by Ed Samella's brother Scott, who just doesn't want to believe his brother committed suicide. But there's also no evidence or indication that Jimmy Finnell could have had anything to do with it. It occurred in August of 1996 during the period that uh, Jimmy Finnell was still the prime suspect. But there's nothing putting him as far as knowing even Ed Salmella beyond he's a bastard city cop. Um, There's also a rumor going around on social media that Ed Salmella was about to blow the lid off Stacey's murder and Fennell had to kill him, but that's just a rumor. Right. And, probably nothing or anything. Right. And and something else uh, there was another another claim that he was gonna he was gonna help Rodney Reed, but he died long before Rodney even became a suspect. Right. So how could he have been helping Rodney Reed? Other than the fact that Rodney Reed is lying and saying that Ed Salmella and Stacy were trading pot to him for cocaine, oh. but that's you know that's about it. Right. And then the 
another Giddings police officer named Jerry Joe Bryant. He was supposedly conducting his own uh, off-the-books investigation of Jimmy Finnell. He believed Jimmy Finnell killed Stacy, and at that particular time in the in the chronology, so did the Texas Rangers. So did the Bastrop City Police. So did the Bastrop Sheriff's Department. They all believe Jimmy killed Stacy. And they even believe what? that Stacy was fooling around on Jimmy, and Jimmy found out. But they could never identify who she was fooling around with because every boyfriend, every man that they checked in her life was excluded from the DNA. Um, Gary Joe Bryant was helping Texas DPS track down a hit-and-run suspect who turned out to be an illegal alien. Mm -hmm. Bryant apparently encountered the man on his own, and there was a struggle, and Bryant was shot and killed either with the assailant's gun or his own gun. The assailant was caught. He was an illegal immigrant. Uh, He was found to be not competent to stand trial. Right. And he was uh, institutionalized, and then at some point he was repatriated back to Mexico. Okay. Uh, Lee County authorities apparently also made an error in their pleading for the death penalty, and so they were unable to get a capital murder charge to stick against the guy anyway. Uh, But that's a topic for another show. So uh, that was in October of 1996, again, before Rodney Reed ever became a suspect. And there's no indication or any documentation offered to show that Fennell was even involved in the DPS chase or helping or assisting in the DPS chase. Right. And this is a claim that was raised in June of 2016 to be developed, but never developed and has never been raised since and could not now be raised in any court proceedings. Uh-huh. Because it's been three years. Right. Uh, one of the other allegations is that it's a false narrative. That uh, basically the the prosecution decided Stacy had to have died at 3.30 or between 3.30 and 5.00. And so they made everything fit Rodney Reed to fit that timeline. Well, it's not exactly true. The reason the timeline starts at 3 o'clock in the morning is because we have corroborated Fennell's statement about Stacy's habit. We have corroborated Stacy's work schedule. She was due to report to work that morning at 3.30 in the morning, and we've corroborated that she left because her mother heard her leave. And when her mother got up after the call from HEB, the truck was not in the driveway, was not in the parking lot. 
Also corroborated is the fact that Stacy was wearing her work pants. The white shirt that she usually wore to work was at the scene where her body was dumped, and her red H-E-B shirt were in the truck. She was wearing her knee brace. She was wearing her tennis shoes. One shoe had come off in the truck, sign of a struggle, and uh, the other shoe was on her foot. Her socks were clean, like she hadn't been walking on them. Right. So, however she got in that dump site, she didn't walk there. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, that's a hard one. It's also a hard one to to counter because they're stuck on Dr. Bodden's interpretations, which probably come from David Fisher. David Fisher is the one who argued years ago that there was lividity on Stacy's face and Stacy's upper shoulders and Stacy's arms, and that proves she was face down when she died. Well, not necessarily. I mean, she could have been pl- placed face down in the floorboard of the truck after Rodney Reed strangled her and transported around for 45 minutes or an hour and had some lividity in her face. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't fixed, and we really don't know what was fixed and what wasn't fixed because Bayardo didn't measure anything. But more likely than not, the red discoloration on the face is actually sunburn because it's a chemical reaction that doesn't require heartbeat, circulation, or breathing, or even brain function. Like you said, she was uh, exposed to the sun, direct sunlight for. At least, what was it? Uh, you said she was found Correct. at three, so at least ten, nine, ten hours? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Check what time sunrise was, April 23rd, 1996. Okay, um, so then, and then continuing that theme, uh, lies, lies, and more lies. Anything that hurts Rodney Reed is a lie. Uh, Jimmy Finnell's lying about everything because he's really the one who killed Stacy. Bayardo lied about everything because he was making a lot of money performing autopsies uh, for Bastrop County, and he didn't want to lose that paycheck. Uh, Lisa Tanner's lying because she just wanted to send somebody to prison uh, for the heck of it. Uh, Rocky Wardlow's lying about everything. Because he didn't search the apartment and he returned the truck to Jimmy Finnell. And David Board is lying uh, that, you know, he just lies about everything because he was arrested for DUI in 2010 and re- re- uh, resigned when he was arrested. It was his second DUI. Right. Lisa, I don't know. Um, me. It was 6.53 a.m. in Bastrop that the sun rose that day. Okay. 6.53, so from 6.53 to 3 p.m. So we'll say roughly 7, 3 plus another 2, 5 plus another 3, 6, 7, 8 hours of direct sunlight. Okay, yeah. 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 So uh, then the next allegation are witness intimidation. They don't name a lot of the witnesses 
there's a rumor that Iris Lindley, on the night Ed Samella died, uh, that someone shot at her house and shot her grandchild. Um, there's another rumor that her name had appeared on a witness list for Rodney Reed. Well, the problem with that is that Ed Samella died in August of 1996. Rodney Reed was not arrested until April of 1997. Therefore, Iris Lindley's name would not have appeared on any witness list in August of 1996, and the alleged shooting at her house could not have been related to the Rodney Reed case. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Jimmy Brown, Dwayne Olney, and his wife Pat, and Lydia Clay Jackson all claim that they interviewed HEB employees who confirmed a relationship between Stacy and read, but that when they went back to talk to them or when they served subpoenas on them or when they wanted them to come testify at trial, the witnesses refused to cooperate because they had been intimidated by police. Right. Unfortunately, they don't name any of these witnesses, and we don't have this claim of intimidation directly from the witnesses. I suspect that the reason Clay Jackson and Olney and Brown aren't naming witnesses at this stage in the game is because in the early days of Reed's post-conviction claims, they did name people when they were attributing statements to them that were helpful to Reed. And when the state went and talked to those individuals, those individuals said, that's not what I said. And one even basically said that Dwayne Olney was a bold-faced liar. Uh-huh. Uh, so there was a person by the name of Kelly Bunguli, Walter Reed, signed an affidavit that said uh, Kelly Bunguli knew where Stacy was when she was killed and Rodney didn't do it. When the state investigators talked to Kelly Bunguli, he said, I never told Walter Reed that. I have no information about Stacy Stites' death. The only thing I told Walter Reed is that Rodney is a crackhead who likes to rape women on the rain, on the train tracks. All right. And then a woman named Campos and Pace, two women, one named Campos, one named Pace, Olney and Ron Moore filed affidavits that claimed that they had information and they knew Rodney was innocent. And, of course, investigators went to them, and I think it was Pace that said that Dwayne Olney was a bold-faced liar. They were talking about the case. They don't know what they believe, but they don't have any direct information about it that would help. And then uh, Carla Hall, the wife of David Hall, who actually testified at a post-conviction hearing and alibied her husband to show that he could not have helped Jimmy Fennell get from Bastrop back to Giddings because he never left their house in Giddings on April 23, 1996. Uh, she is now saying that Lisa Tanner intimidated her. She claims Stacy talked about having met somebody and Jimmy's going to be upset if he finds out. And then the men came back in. They didn't talk about it any further. So Carla doesn't know what it was about. Uh, and that was right before Stacy died, so she never got a chance to talk to her about it again. Um, but 
she didn't mention that in her testimony at the hearing. She testified for the state, alibied her husband, that was it. Right. And in her testimony, she actually testified that Jimmy Fennell was still welcome in her house at that time. Of course, this is before Jimmy Fennell had his issues, so I'll I'll give her credit for that. Uh, But apparently after his uh, picadillo, he became persona non grata with her. Perhaps she and David are also divorced, and so there may be some sour grapes there. Uh, But she claims Lisa Tanner intimidated her. Um, I'd love to see her testify because that testimony from the post-conviction hearing is going to come back and bite her on the butt. Right. Uh, and then, you know, there's, of course, this, basically anybody who testified against Rodney Reed uh, was lying, and their testimony was false. Jimmy Fennell, Robert Bayard, Roberto Bayardo, Karen Blakely, Wilson Young, Megan Clement. Uh, all the rape victims, Connie, Angela, Lucy, Caroline, Vivian, Linda, everybody was lying about Rodney Reed. Uh, and there's some interesting there are some interesting theories. Like Connie and Lucy were friends. And they both cooked this up amongst themselves for God only knows why. And um, they try to say that uh, David Board had all of the DNA from Caroline's case and Vivian's case and Angela's case. And so he planted that DNA on Stacy. When in reality, he had some physical evidence from Caroline's case, but the DNA was in the at the DPS crime lab. He had the rape kit from Vivian's case, which was sealed at the hospital. And he did take it to DPS after the link between Reed and Stacy was made. But the, the rape kit for Angela was already at the DPS. So he didn't have control of the rape kits. And there's, uh, an allegation that he testified all the rape kits are lost, but the, there's no. I've looked at the punishment and the the trial. There's nowhere where he claims he lost anything. Because that's another thing you right. get conclusory allegations that they they say you know comes from testimony, but then they won't give you a citation to the testimony. Right. Um, I just love and and sometimes they'll give you a screen cap of a document that you can't tell when it was written, what date it is, you know, where it where it comes from uh, to prove their point. So, uh, do you want to go have a quick break? Absolutely, we can. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to uh, Claire and Convention with Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien. We will uh, be right back after this.
Sunny days seem to hurt the most I wear the pain like a heavy coat I feel you everywhere I go I see your smile, I see your face I hear you laughing in the rain I still can't believe you're gone It ain't fair you died too young Like the story that hadn't just begun But death tore the pages all away God knows how I miss you All the hell that I've been through Just know me are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at sub Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at sub Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. sub Vapors. Vape it like you built it. So, 
probably that he, you know, came up with to make a connection to Ed Salmella. Uh-huh. So, um, and then, uh, so the next, the next thing we have, uh, a lot of it is speculation. It's, I believe he's innocent. I believe Fennell killed her. I feel like he's innocent. I feel like Fennell killed her. Uh, they talk a lot right. about Fennell's behavior. Uh, he closed his bank account because his checkbook was missing from his truck. Reasonable. That is a reasonable reaction to having a checkbook missing. Yes, he could have gone to the bank and said check numbers 101 through 115 are missing. Don't cash those checks. But in 1996, I don't know if the records or the the system was sophisticated enough to even do that. He might have had to put a stop payment on every one of those checks, which to this day costs about 35 bucks. Right. And, you know, that may have been the option he was presented with. The defense knew he closed his checking account. They did not question him about that at Reed's trial. And they speculate, well, he closed his checking account. That's, you know, that's evidence of guilt. That shows he was going to flee the jurisdiction. He got $1,200. He was not going to get far on $1,200. I mean, he might make it to me. Not to mention the fact that he never did flee. Right. You know, he didn't flee. He stayed in Giddings. He may have moved out of the apartment he shared with Stacy. Who would blame him for that? But he didn't flee. And then he made a statement uh, and he testified that Stacy was on the placebo portion of her birth control pills, which he referred to as vitamins. And in the trial, I think Lydia Clay Jackson asked him where he got that information, and he said he got it from the package insert. Right. Well, that may not have been true. It's not material. I, I took birth control pills for years. I never once read a package insert. My husband did not read a package insert. Right. I don't think anybody reads package inserts because the the type is so small, you need a friggin' scientific magnifier <laughs> to be able to read package inserts. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's not material. And Fennel's statement could have been that he misunderstood what Stacy told him, or he could have read the insert. And misunderstood it. Um, And, you know, it's true that in some dosages, during the placebo period, you are, have a greater risk of pregnancy. Right. And my sisters and I are all birth control pill babies. 
Right. So <laughs> it I mean, does they happen. Say, I mean, they say it's not 100% effective. <laughs> right. It's like 98% effective. And also, he could have said, you know, vitamins. He could have thought the placebos were the vitamins, but Stacy could have been taking a, taking a vitamin pill that during the placebo stage counteracted or, or reduced the effectiveness of the hormones that would have made her more at risk to get pregnant. Right. So, again, he could have misunderstood what Stacy told him. He could have misunderstood what he read. You know, it's a misunderstanding. It's not false information. They're painting it as a lie. And they have, you know, they get an OBGYN to say, I would never tell a patient that. The package inserts don't say that. I don't know what kind of pills she was taking, but the ones with, with iron in them aren't green. You know, all that stuff, it's like it, it's not material information that's material to Reed's guilt or innocence. Right. If you had asked my ex-husband how birth control pills work, he, he, would, he could have told you jack squat about them. Yeah, exactly. You know, he might have tried to act like he knew, (laughs) because some men are like that, but he wouldn't have known. And then uh, there's an allegation that Stacy's fingernails were cut, and that could have, of course, only been done by somebody in law enforcement. But Stacy's mother testified that she kept her nails short because she worked with produce. She was getting boxes of lettuce and tomatoes and apples and oranges and grapes and all kinds of things and she had to reach into boxes and deal with gunk and so she kept her nails short so that the gunk would not get under her fingernails right. and probably that so that long she long wouldn't long break long fingernails long. That's just, wow. um, and so and like I have a tendency I used to bite my nails but I, I couldn't bite them after I had braces but I started picking them and pulling them and then after I pick them or pull them, I have to even them out so I get the clippers and even them out and sometimes take them down almost to the quick. Right. Um, and, you know, speculation that, well, she was three weeks away from her wedding. She wasn't going to have nails that short. She was maybe was planning to go get gel, gel nails right before the wedding. That's what I did when wow. I got married, you know, because wow. my nails oh, are were not great. Wow. Um, this, and this then there, yeah. And then speculation that he staged the the scene where the truck was found, and the scene where Stacy's body was found. Well, the halves of the belt being in two different places could have been staged by Rodney Reed. The name tag in her leg could have been staged. Say, okay, if they, you know, if they ever look at me, I this makes it look like it was somebody close to her. Somebody that knew her, right? Um, you know, it it could have been staged by Rodney Reed, and then the other one it's not on the um, it's not on the uh, the list, but the seatbelt in the truck, the seatbelt was engaged. Kevin Gannon says only cops ride around on their seatbelts in their patrol cars. They ride right. around on their seatbelts. In their personal vehicles, 
in the state of Texas, they probably are required just like everybody else to put their seatbelt on. And the theory is that Stacy was pulled out of the driver's seat with the seatbelt still engaged because she had abrasions on her left shoulder and chest that were consistent with having been pulled out from under the seatbelt. And then he doesn't want to touch the seatbelt, so he just leaves it engaged. Right. Because when he was in that truck, he was probably very careful about what he touched. And before he left the truck, he probably wiped down anything that he did touch. Right. Makes sense. Um, And there were indications on the white shirt found at the crime scene that it was used to wipe down something. Some things. Um, Also, really, you don't actually have, realistically have fingerprints all over a vehicle. Um, You're actually kind of lucky if you do find fingerprints. Uh, You know, you're lucky if you find them on the rearview mirror. But usually, even in a stolen car situation, the fingerprints you're going to find on the rearview mirror belong to the owner. Right. and so, and Rodney Reed claimed in his relationship with Stacy that she picked him up in the truck on Sunday, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. So his fingerprints or DNA should have been in the truck to corroborate his claim that he was in the truck. So he can argue, oh, there's nothing for me in the truck, nothing for me in the truck, can't prove I was in the truck. Yeah, it doesn't prove that you were in the truck when you claimed to be in the truck. So that one cuts both ways. True. And, of course, in 2014, his DNA DNA consistent with his was found on the back brace, which was in the floor, uh, the passenger floor of the truck. So that puts him in the truck. Yeah. And then speculation that the police intimidated the relationship witnesses, but we don't know when they intimidated them because not a single relationship witness who has come forward claims to have talked to any of the investigators and been told to shut up, be quiet, keep it to themselves, not say anything. Um, a couple of witnesses had said, no, I didn't go to police. I didn't tell anything, tell them anything because I didn't trust them. But that's your issue. It's not that they didn't want to hear it from you. It's that you didn't want to go to them and tell them. And there's a distinction. Well, you can't say police intimidated you when you did not go to them and give them the information that you knew. Uh, And then, of course, they claim uh, everything is corruption and conflicts of interest. Well, of course. Everybody has – Dr. Johnson had a conflict of interest because she had been fired by Harris County, sued Harris County for wrongful termination, won a judgment that was on appeal. So she had a conflict of interest and never should have even been appointed – to assist Rodney Reed. 
And that mm-hmm. claim is just blatantly so wrong on so many levels. Harris County and Bastrop County are independent counties. Harris County is down by Houston. Bastrop County's in Central Texas near Austin. By the time she was appointed to, to help read, she was employed by Technical Associates, a lab, an independent lab in California. So, again, there's no basis for conflict of interest. The only conflict of interest she might have had was a bias against the state of Texas because it had done her wrong when she was at the lab in Harris County. Right. I mean, that's true. You know, uh, and then there's an allegation that Rocky Wardlow, who investigated Ed Salmella's death, uh, he was a former roommate, which wasn't disclosed in any reports, but Scott uh, Scott Salmella says he was. Uh, I don't recall that that was ever in the trial testimony. Um, so, you know, I don't know how – there's no independent corroboration of Scott Salmella's claim that Rocky Wardlow lived with Ed Salmella and had a key to his apartment or any of that stuff. So, um, but that's another one of those things. And it's it's something that's never been raised in any of Reed's post-conviction claims. Right. And a lot of these a lot of these things could have been raised if not at trial because the defense knew about them, but in Reed's post-conviction claims. Mm-hmm. And then there are specific allegations um, claiming that Stacy's time of death is later based on the appearance in photographs and a videotape that she had lividity on the front portions of part of her body, but not corresponding lividity on other parts of her body that should have had corresponding lividity if she was placed in the floorboard of the truck face down, if she was face down over the tub, mm-hmm. um, her, you know, her lower, her lower legs should have had frontal lividity. Because okay. if she's, she she's not suspended from her ankles from the ceiling. Right. Where it all goes into her although that I'm sure that will be a theory at some time to- at some time. Okay. Uh but again if that if that red discoloration in the photograph is sunburn, it's not lividity. And there is posterior dependent lividity noted on her back, which is consistent with the position she was laying in. Right. And another problem with Reed's attorneys is they are believers in quantity rather than quality. So they're enlisting all these experts to come in and say, frontal lividity, 
Time of death before midnight. Time of death 20 to 24 hours before she was found. 20 to 24 hours before the, the crime scene video, which actually places a time of death at a time when we know she was alive and well and with her mother. Right. So, because the crime scene video was taken at five o'clock. Right, makes sense. And she was alive and well and with her mother until eight. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they continue to recycle uh, the beer cans uh, and misrepresent the beer cans, saying that there was DNA from two cops. But in reality, there was HLA DQ alpha that did not exclude Salmella and Hall. Elizabeth Johnson did exclude Salmella and Hall and Stacy by performing polymarker testing, which excluded all three of them. Um, and then they, they claim that the, the DNA report from the DPS lab was suppressed. But again, that's been presented, it's been argued, and the court found that the information in the report was not material to Reed's claims because Reed had his own expert who had the same evidence, performed the same testing, got the same results, and then went one step further and eliminated the beer cans as relevant evidence. Right. And while they want to argue that Garvey and Clay Jackson would not have even brought Elizabeth Johnson onto the stand if they'd known about that DNA report. Basically what Garvey and Clay Johnson are saying and the courts are not believing is that they would have tried to mislead the jury by presenting those beer cans as evidence to, to link. And that would link potentially David Hall or Ed Salmella. And it right. can't be Stacy's DNA because Stacy was supposedly already dead and dumped at the crime scene after being killed in the apartment. Um, so then there's a claim that a couple weeks before Stacy was murdered, Fennell and an officer in a Bastrop Sheriff's car tracked down Reed and his cousin Chris Aldridge, and Fennell threatened Reed. This is a claim that was not made by Rodney Reed prior to his trial. It was made after his conviction and first attested to by Chris Aldridge. And it was never brought up on cross-examination of Jimmy Fennell when he testified. See, I mean, but of course they probably are uh, finding some ways to refute this or ignore that fact, correct? Well, they're ignoring that fact but because Reed keeps saying that's what happened and Chris Aldridge, uh, you know, backs him up and says that's what's happened. That's what happened, but... I mean, Rodney Reed knew this. Why would he not have told his attorneys about it? And his attorneys have never been asked, did he tell you about this? Right. Because the answer would have to be no. And his attorneys are, you know, his attorneys are going out on some limbs for him, I think, but they're not going to commit perjury. 
by saying, oh, yeah, he told us about it, but we didn't think it was important. I wouldn't put anything past him, though, Lisa. But in addition, this also has been uh, examined by the courts, presented to the courts, and basically the claim was not found to be credible because Fennell was a Giddings police officer. He was in a Bastrop Sheriff's car, and they didn't identify the Bastrop Sheriff personnel with him. So they just did not find that this in this event was credible at all. And again, right. it could have been brought out at trial if it had really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, they claimed that the investigation was shoddy because they didn't search the apartment, and they gave the truck back to to Fennell. Uh, Texas is a is a state where you can shoot a repo man to keep him from repossessing your vehicle on the street really? on public property. Yes. Wow. So I would, you know, Texas personal property is personal property, and the DPS did not have the facilities or the uh, ability to maintain the truck, to keep the truck and maintain it for an indefinite period of time. So they processed it to the limits of forensics in 1996. And then after six days, which is confirmed in Lydia Clay Jackson's cross-examination of Jimmy Fennell, they returned the truck to his owner. Right. There's also a claim that uh, he signed the title the day after the murder. The title is a document that you do not keep in your vehicle. And the reason for that is that if your vehicle is stolen, the person who steals it will not have a title that they can easily forge and then have the title to the vehicle transferred to them. Before you even know about it. So you keep your title separate from your vehicle. Yeah, makes sense. And anybody who keeps the title in their vehicle is an idiot. Right. You keep your registration in your vehicle. And so he would have had access to the title even if he didn't have access to the vehicle. And so he could have taken the title to a notary the day after Stacy died and signed it in front of a notary, and that way it's ready to go whenever he gets the truck back. He had his father pick up the truck. Now, they make an issue. They say, well, he signed the title. He had to have taken the truck. No, he signed the title in front of a notary. His dad then takes the title with his signature, notarized, to the dealership, if they know the dealership, then the dealership's going to let Daddy have the new car and take the truck off his hands. Right. Um, you know, he could have he gone into the dealership to pick out what he wanted. And like I said, all his father's doing is delivering the truck. He may have already had his new vehicle or replacement vehicle. 
Right. Within a day. Um, and they claim that that was done to deprive Rodney Reed of a chance to examine the truck. But that makes no sense. Rodney Reed was not immediately arrested. Rodney Reed wasn't arrested for 10 months. Right. Rodney Reed wasn't a suspect at the time the truck was returned. So they can't be doing it to to deprive Rodney Reed when they're looking at Jimmy Finnell as the suspect at that time. Right. And in reality, uh, Reed had three investigators, one of whom was a former Austin police officer. All three of them, if they're investigators, know how to track down a vehicle. You can track down a vehicle through the Department of Public Safety. If the Department of Public Safety wouldn't give them the information, they could have gone to the court and requested that the court get the information. They could have gone to Bastrop PD and requested that Bastrop PD get the information. They could have found the truck if they really wanted to examine it. They made the strategic choice to use that fact, which the jury knew, as a basis of trying to raise reasonable doubt. And they did the same thing with the apartment and the failure to search. They used it to try and raise reasonable doubt and criticize the investigation. Because you remember the the case uh, in Nebraska with the crazy stalker woman. They tracked down Carrie's truck, and it had been through two different owners by that time. Right. Without a problem. So, you know, they could have tracked down the truck if they wanted to examine it. But they made the strategic choice not to. Um, And then, of course, with the DNA evidence... Uh, they, their fallback is that board planted DNA on Stacy, on all the other, uh, all the other crimes attributed to Rodney Reed. There's one argument that he had physical evidence from Caroline Revis and could have used that physical evidence to plant DNA on the rape kits for Vivian and Angela, which were also linked to Rodney Reed. But again, he had physical evidence. The samples from Caroline Revis's rape kit were at the DPS in Austin. Mm-hmm. And then they minimized the DNA. They claim it was three old sperm cells. They don't acknowledge the sperm uh, in the panties and the DNA in the panties or the mapping of the panties that showed very little movement after Stacy was raped and they don't acknowledge the swabs from the breasts, which also had saliva DNA consistent with Rodney Reed. So it's more than just three sperm cells. Karen Blakely found three sperm cells intact heads and tails on a slide. Dr. Biardo found additional intact heads and tails. He also observed heads on a rectal slide. Um, They misrepresent. They say, oh, it should have been millions and millions if it was at 3.30 in the morning, but 
that's just not true. You don't know what volume you're going to get. Right. Um, because it's it's affected by is he taking any medications? Is he using any drugs? How often does he ejaculate? Uh, you know, uh, how much does he produce on average? Very true. So um, that's another one that you know they try and they try and say, oh, this scientific evidence, but it's not really it's not really scientific evidence. It's interpretations of that evidence. And frankly, it sounds more and more like interpretations of that evidence that were first put forth by a layperson that have just been adopted by Gannon and now Baden and Wecht and Spitz. Uh, They've had comments from Joseph Warren or Warner who's I think in Tarrant County or somewhere else in Texas. Uh, but he's, I don't think he's ever given a, he may have given an affidavit in 2014, but he's apparently didn't make the cut this time. Uh, and they're right. talking to, they're relying on Leroy Riddick, who at one point gave an affidavit that essentially said, we can't really determine an accurate time of death because Dr. Bayardo didn't record enough information for us to be able to do that. Okay. So, uh, and then with the relationship allegations, of course, there's the the allegation that everybody knew, all her cousins knew, but her mama and her sisters didn't, or her mama and her sisters knew, but they're racist, and so they don't care that Jimmy murdered Stacy. Which is one of the one of the allegations that incenses me the most. I think you remember we had that woman that said, you know, she was promiscuous and her parents, her family was racist, and so they, you know, they didn't like the fact that she had a an N word baby, which isn't even true. Oh. Um, you know, her her the father of her child was Caucasian. Right. Um, and that's another thing. And and before we go further, um. The people that are making the case about race are Rodney Reed and his supporters because they're using race as a a crutch to turn him into a victim of an unfair system and an unfair trial. Right. When in reality, nine post-conviction writs the Texas court has not found a single thing that was unfair about his trial. Right. I mean, the dude, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, the dude's getting a lot of chances at the the apple here, a lot of bites at it. Right. He's had four post-conviction hearings, or he's had three and is about to have his fourth. That is unusual. Right. In Texas. So um, some of the witnesses that have gone on record uh, to the alleged relationship between uh, Reed and Stacy 
Uh, the first, of course, is Mother Sandra Reed. She testified at a bond hearing that Stacy used to come pick him up. He's always got four or five girlfriends. Interestingly, he's also said in interviews he always dated white women. Lucy, the mother of, of two of his children, is white. Uh, Connie was white. Angela was white. Caroline was Hispanic, but or white. I don't know. Uh, so he says he's always always dated white women, but none of them have ever turned up murdered. Even in this backwards, you know, these backwards small Texas towns, nobody turned up murdered. And you know he 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 didn't seem to face any problems, um, but she she just assumed they were dating. Her her testimony at the bond hearing wasn't really strong, and so she wasn't called to testify at the trial. Another problem that his attorneys faced at the trial was that if they went too hard on the consent or the relationship claims. Lucy and Caroline could have each been brought in on rebuttal to testify about how Rodney Reed treated girlfriends. Okay. And really, when you think about it, if he and Stacy, he and Stacy could have been in a relationship, Stacy could have told him she wanted to end it because she was getting married in 18 days and she was tired of sneaking around. And the impression that I get from Lucy and what happened to her, you don't break up with Rodney Reed. Rodney Reed breaks up with you. And until he's done with you, he will do what he wants. Because that's what happened to Lucy. She ended the relationship. He broke into her mother's house and raped her in front of her two children. So, uh, and then they also could have brought in the victims on rebuttal as far as, you know, trying to push the consent defense. And they could have. If, the, if one witness said the wrong thing, all those, all those claims would come in on rebuttal. Right. To refute the relationship claims. So they had to tread very carefully. Uh, Walter Reed, to my knowledge, never testified, and the affidavit that he gave uh, did not have anything to do with the relationship, as I recall. I could be incorrect, uh, but he's the one that you know Kelly Bunguli pretty much destroyed his credibility when he said, that's not what I said. And then a woman by the name of Linda Westmoreland came forward. I think she was a bail bonds person. Uh, she was her claim was presented in one of his early post conviction claims and was not found to be credible. Roderick, Richard, and Shanta Reed. Uh, Roderick and Richard are, are brothers. Shanta is a cousin. Uh, they weren't found to be credible. I don't think Roderick or Richard has ever actually done affidavits or testified either. Um, they've, Roderick has given inconsistent statements. He said in some interviews that he knew Stacy, and in other interviews he said that Rodney told him about Stacy. And then Chris and Tanya Aldridge. Chris Aldridge, as we know, not credible. He claimed that he, Rodney, and 
Stacy used to drive around smoking crack. Oh, wow. The pre-employment drug screen, the toxicology post-mortem, and a hair test performed after Stacy's death prior to Reed's trial all were negative for any cocaine metabolites. Elizabeth Keener, uh, she came forward during the trial. The information she gave prosecutors was passed on to uh, the defense, and the defense elected not to call her to testify. Calvin Buddy Horton is a cousin of Stacy's. He gave an affidavit in 2014 that said that he saw Stacy with Rodney Reed at the, Bear, Dar- the Dairy Queen in Bastrop. Now, Reed has said that they weren't really sneaking and ducking around, but places that they thought he thought they were safe, uh, they would be open with each other. Well, okay, I can tell you if she's got a jealous boyfriend, one place that's not safe is the HEB where she works, and another place that's not safe is the Bastrop Dairy Queen. What? If y'all want DQ, go over to Elgin, go over to Georgetown, go to Austin, go to Sonic in Austin. Don't be going to the Bastrop Dairy Queen. Right. Because somebody that knows Jimmy, because it's a small town and all these cops are, all these cops are linked together. Somebody that knows Jimmy's going to see you. Right. Um, he also claimed that um, he claimed that Stacy and Reed got into a dark colored car that Stacy was driving. Well, Stacy did not have access to a dark colored car. There was a red right. truck, and there was a silver Ford Tempo. Uh-huh. So. Uh, he did not report this sighting of Stacy and a an African American man to investigators in 1996. Even though he claimed when Rodney Reed was arrested, he recognized him as the man he saw Stacy with. He did not go to police in 1997. He didn't reach out to the defense in 1997. He didn't reach out to anybody in 1998 when Reed was on trial. He didn't reach out in 2001 when Reed's case was all over the news because he was filing his post-conviction claims. He didn't reach out in 2006 when they were holding hearings in Rodney Reed's case, and once again, his case was all over news. They didn't reach out, he didn't reach out in 20, 2008 when Reed was trying to get a new trial based on Jimmy Fennell's lapse in morals. Um, he didn't reach out until 2014. Right. When Reed had an execution date. In 2017, when Reed's hearing was held in Bastrop, the defense did not call Calvin Horton to testify to a relationship between Rodney Reed and Stacy. Right. To me, that suggests that they did not want Calvin Horton to be cross-examined because his credibility would be destroyed. Shut. 
they want to continue making the allegation based on his affidavit, but they don't want to put their money where their mouth is and let him swear under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and have a prosecutor question him. Right. Then, of course, Iris Lindley, she can't come forward now because she came forward and testified at the trial. She's the one who uh, said Stephanie instead of Stacy, and said Stacy was in a full-size silver truck, which, once again, Stacy didn't have access to. Such right. a truck. So she was not found to be credible by the jury. Julia Estes, she also hasn't come forward since Reed was convicted. She was one of his trial witnesses. She owned a bar or tended a bar that the Reed family frequented. Um, allegedly, she was threatened. And so that led her to uh, shade her testimony so that it didn't help Reed. And even though she didn't help Reed in her testimony, immediately after the trial, she was arrested as retaliation. That's the story that Reed's attorney, Lydia, Lydia Clay Jackson, tells. Well, she was arrested in June of 1998 for drunk driving, and she was convicted. My Bartender, goodness. drunk driving, probably, you know, not a stretch of the imagination that uh, that happened. Uh, and that's the only arrest around the trial. Pardon? Somebody put the alcohol in her system, right? I, you know, I don't know what her explanation is. I, I honestly <laughs> don't know. She was convicted. Right. So, or pled guilty. So, um, and then there's a girl by the name of Joy Montfort. She was apparently married to a Reed relation at the time of the trial. She was a friend of uh, Angela. <clears throat> and she's been on social media posting. They, uh, in plea for justice, they hold her out as a relationship witness. But in reality, she's just been posting that Angela um, was made to lie at the trial by Lisa Tanner and that Angela said James Slaughter is the person who raped her. Right. Um, but, you know, and Angela may have believed that James Slaughter was the person who raped her, and that is what she believed in 1989 because that's there's a, a search warrant affidavit going around from David Board, dated 1989. But the uh, blood samples that they collected from Slaughter, he was excluded as a donor of the semen found in Angela H.'s rape kit in uh-huh. 1989. That's why he was never charged, tried, or convicted of Angela's rape and why her rape was remained open until the DNA consistent with Rodney Reed was identified in her rape kit. Um, Interestingly enough, her account of that evening, Ron Moore was at her house with his cousin, and his cousin, one of his cousins, is Rodney Reed. Uh Uh-huh. He is not a cousin of James Slaughter. Oh. So, 
And then James Robinson, he uh, also his his claim has been presented and found not to be credible. I believe he claimed to have gone to school with Stacy, but she went to school in Corpus and then Smithville, uh, not in Bastrop or Giddings. Um, and so he was found not to be credible. Mellor Marie Aldridge is Chris Aldridge's mother. She's the one who said that she knew Stacy because Stacy worked at the customer service in uh, the Bastrop HEB. That Stacy was best friends with a Hispanic girl named Rose who lived in the projects, and that everybody knew Stacy and Rodney were having a relationship. Everybody. Well, it turned out that um, Stacy had never worked in the customer service department, she had been a cashier. And she was working in the produce department, but she'd never been qualified or trained for customer service. The HEB store did not employ anyone named Rose. And especially not a Hispanic girl who lived in the projects in Bastrop. So Mellon Marie Aldridge's claims were not found to be credible either. And then Leroy Yabara, he had worked at the Bastrop HEB, but apparently left right after Stacy's murder or the day of Stacy's murder. It's not quite clear from his affidavit. Um, he was never contacted by police or defense attorneys or prosecutors. He said that Rodney Reed would come in the store, and Stacy was always happy to see him when he came in the store. But then when her boyfriend came to the store, uh, that she would hide, and she was never happy to see him, and she was stressed out. Um, I don't find that to be particularly credible because the store was in Bastrop, and Jimmy Fennell worked in Giddings. Right. There is little to no chance when Jimmy Fennell was at work in Giddings of him just stopping by the Bastrop, the H-E-B Bastrop, because... Giddings is 35 miles away. Right. I think Leroy Ibarra believes he was a Bastrop police officer who could just drop on by the store anytime he wanted, uh, and that's just not true. So I think it's unlikely that Jimmy Fennell would have been at the HEB in Bastrop. Plus, mm-hmm. they worked pretty much you know, different schedules. She worked in, from 3.30 in the morning till about 1.00 in the afternoon, got off work, went home to Giddings. He was a patrol officer. He probably worked seven to three. So it's highly unlikely that he could just drop by the Bastrop in Giddings. I mean the Bastrop in the HEB in Bastrop. And then Alicia Slater, we talked about her before. Um, she claims they were having lunch, and she was admiring Stacy's ring. And Stacy said, "Oh, you must be so excited to get married." And Stacy said, "No, I'm not, because I'm sleeping with a black guy named Rodney." Oh my goodness! And of course, we talked about it. Uh, Carol Stites testified that Stacy did not wear her engagement ring to work because she worked in produce. She was putting her hands in and out of boxes, in and out yeah. of bins in and out of places, and she didn't want to lose it or damage it. And um, she worked 3.30 to 1. Alicia Slater was a bagger and a cart person, so she probably came in 
for when the store opened. So just as Alicia Slater's getting ready to come into work is when Stacy would have been eligible for a break. And then Stacy probably left work at one o'clock because she would usually arrive at her mother's apartment in Bastro and Giddings by one thirty. Right. So she probably wasn't eating lunch at the store. And there's also testimony from a manager in response to Mel and Marie Aldridge's statements that, you know, Stacy was friendly and got along with everyone, but she didn't gravitate to any one person. And probably the closest person in the store to her was Andrew Cardenas, who was the co-worker mm-hmm. where they would wait for each other outside and go into the store together when they were reporting for those early morning shifts. Right. And then there are three witnesses listed in the plea for justice video who I have never seen or heard their names before. They've never given affidavits that I've been able to find. There's a Rose Raxton. I wonder if she's Hispanic Rose that lived in the projects. Right. An Elisa Allen. And then an anonymous witness number one. Anonymous witness number one. Yeah. So um, their their claims, whatever they've claimed, has never been brought forward by Rodney Reed in any of his court proceedings. Again, they're they're basically quantity over quality. Right. We have twenty witnesses. Even though 12 of your 20 witnesses have found to be not credible. Even by your own attorneys, because when they had a chance to call them to testify in 2017, they did not. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then finally, uh, their, their claims about all these things the jury didn't hear. The strain there was a strained relationship between Stacy and Fennell in the days before Stacy died. Um, well, Stacy and Fennell were planning a wedding, and apparently Fennell's mother was putting her two cents in, and Fennell was taking his mother's side rather than Stacy's. I can't speak from experience because my mother-in-law was in Pascagoula, Mississippi and didn't want to be involved in my wedding plans. But other women I've known who've been in that position, yeah, that causes some stress in a relationship. Yeah, I can imagine. And you know what? I'm going to put it out there. They act as though in the history of planning weddings, no engaged couple has ever had a disagreement or a fight over planning a wedding. Right. Which I think there's more breakups over planning weddings than there is actually right. you know anything exactly. substantial. And you know, there's also a claim that um Carol uh Stites was, was telling Stacy to back out because Jimmy was violent. Well no. Carol Stites apparently I suspect that Carol Stites' mother-in-law and Carol had a strained relationship. From what I could find out, and I could be wrong, apparently 
uh, Stacy's father's father, her grandfather, was killed, leaving his mother, his wife, and children alone in the Depression era because her father mm-hmm. was born in 1931. So I, I think that Carol's mother-in-law and her husband had a very close relationship. And I think potentially Carol was speaking to Stacy from some level of experience with a difficult mother-in-law who had a close relationship with her son. And so Carol envisioned Jimmy's mother causing problems in their marriage from the day they married forth. Right. And she didn't want Stacy to have that kind of relationship. You know, my my sister's lucky. She adores her daughter-in-law. She was a welcome and active participant in planning the wedding. Um, she gets along famously with my niece's parents. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, one huge happy family, and it's wonderful to see in-laws they get along so well. And it's funny, we've said if anything happens, y'all keep Jeremy and we'll keep mm-hmm. Harley. And they have said y'all keep Harley and we'll keep Jeremy. Right. And the only one that's going to be any dispute over is Jonathan. Mm. The baby. So, but, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, like I said, Carol had a mother-in-law, had a strained relationship with her mother-in-law, and she envisioned the same thing for Stacy and wanted Stacy to know it does not get better. Right. Um, and, you know, I think the, one of the reasons I suspected is because Stacy's dad, who died in 1990, uh, when Stacy was about 13 – uh, is buried next to his mother. Right. And so, you know, I think that they had, and, and by, because of circumstances, they had a, a close relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was the, he was the oldest boy. And so he became the man of the house when his father died. Unexpectedly. So, um, yeah, I I think there were, you know, there were problems, but there weren't problems. It wasn't because of Jimmy. It was because of Jimmy's mother. And Carol even says her the mother was, you know, interfering, and it was causing it was causing strife between Stacy and Jimmy. But like I said. Right. It's not like no couple in the history of planning weddings has ever, has never fought. All couples have disagreements while planning a wedding. It's it, it is inevitable. So, uh, and then the jury didn't hear about excessive force allegations made against Fennell, uh while he was getting police officer. Well, they wouldn't be relevant because the alleged victims of the excessive force, first of all, there were no criminal charges. 
there were no internal affairs findings. Uh, It was a civil suit, not, you know, like I said, he wasn't fired from the police force for excessive force. Uh, But the victims of that were male, and um, they didn't die. And so there was nothing that was really relevant to even be used in cross-examination of Jimmy Finnell. Because it wasn't the state of Texas versus Jimmy Finnell. It was state of Texas versus Rodney Reed. Then the the failed – that Jimmy Finnell failed two polygraph tests. Well – Polygraph tests aren't admissible. Uh, Rodney Reed's attorneys did an excellent job trying to argue their way to get the polygraph results into the trial during their questioning of Jimmy Finnell. However, they're not admissible under any circumstances, and all of the Texas courts have found that the judge did not commit any error not allowing Finnell to be questioned about the failed polygraphs. They were able to get on the record that he did plead the fifth when he failed the last polygraph in December of 1996. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, I mean, you know, everybody has a right under the Fifth Amendment to remain silent or have an attorney present during any and all questioning. And after seven months, eight months, of being questioned and cooperating with police and taking polygraph tests and being told he failed and being accused of killing Stacy and no probable cause developed, no evidence developed tying him to Stacy's murder, no DNA evidence tying him to Stacy's murder. He maybe got tired and decided, okay, I'm not dealing with these guys anymore unless I have an attorney present. Right, absolutely. And that's not—it's not an unwise decision on his part. The irony is, had he continued talking and talked himself into criminal charges and been convicted and sentenced to death, because they never found the source of the DNA on on Stacy's body, Innocence Project would be fighting to test that DNA because that would lead them to the real killer. Right. Very true. So, and then there's the allegation of clipped fingernails. Well, again, Stacy's mother testified she kept her fingernails very short because of her work. Allegation about the closed bank account. He wasn't going to get far on $1,283.09. Right. Uh, They also say, well, it was Stacy's money. It was a it was a joint account. If he had died, Stacy could have gone and closed it out. Right. In a joint account, it's not tit for tat. You don't just you don't just own what you put in. You own the whole thing if you're the last person standing. Right. And um now, if you want to have if you want to have control over joint account, you make it an and account, which means both people have to sign, mm-hmm. and both people have to be present to withdraw any funds. But right. in the event of a death, that's a problem because then the one person can't access any of the money. 
So most accounts are, are either or. Uh, but like I said, right. it was a joint account. It was his money. He was probably the one that was putting five hundred something dollars a month in, or five hundred a thousand dollars a month every two weeks, five hundred every two weeks. And Stacy was putting in about three hundred and eighty nine every two weeks. So um, could have been the other way around. I don't know. Uh, the beer cans, the beer cans don't have Jimmy Finnell's DNA on them. Never did. Never will. Uh, the DNA does not belong to two police officers. The DNA could not belong to Jim to David Hall because David Hall was home with his daughter and his wife. And in fact, his daughter woke up screaming bloody murder at three thirty in the morning. Never happened before. Never happened again. Make it make it that what you will. Uh, Mary Blackwell's claims that Jimmy threatened to strangle his girlfriend with a belt if he ever caught her cheating. This has also been presented. In a post-conviction claim, Mary Blackwell and John Vasquez testified. Mary Blackwell was not found to be credible because she did not. She was a law enforcement officer who did not report this alleged statement made before Stacy's murder during the murder investigation. The court also found it was not material because it was not reported until after Rodney Reed's conviction. It was reported to a former defense investigator, and that former defense investigator did not take it to Rodney Reed's attorneys. He did a memo to the prosecutor, but he wasn't sure which prosecutor, and tried to create a Brady claim. Right. Pamela Duncan is a former girlfriend of Jimmy Finnell. She started dating Jimmy sometime after Stacy was murdered. Uh, she claims that he uh, was very racist, wouldn't let her go have her hair cut by a black lady, um, used the N-word a lot, did not abuse her physically, but was verbally abusive. And when they broke up, he would harass her and stalk her. He would stalk <laughs> any men she dated and get them fired from their jobs. She reported it to Giddings Police, and then a friend of hers went to pick up a copy of the report, and there was no such report. Um, this was not allowed at – they didn't know about it prior to Reed's trial, even though it happened in 1997. It was presented as a Brady claim, but the court found it happened – everything happened in Lee County. Lee County was not part of the investigation. Um you know, they were apart for anything that went happened in Giddings, which was next to nothing. Because there was no search of the apartment in Giddings, which is where an, a warrant would have had to be issued. Um, and they didn't participate in the investigation, and Bastrop didn't have any idea what was going on. Um, you know, I don't know that it would be, it would even have been relevant because it's all after Stacy's murder. And they may have started dating after Reed was identified. I'll have to go look at those dates to see what the dates were. But if I would I would guess that if they began dating and then Reed's the person who's identified as the one who killed Stacy, I 
could see somebody very tolerant turning very racist very quickly. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, especially that close to events. And then a, a Lee County or Giddings police officer named Shane Wallace claims that he witnessed a domestic altercation on the side of the road between Jimmy Finnell and a Hispanic-looking woman, which I believe his wife, Aida, was was Hispanic, um, I, So, which kind of argues against racism for me. Um, the, uh, <laughs> you know, because she's Hispanic, um, right. he claims to have seen this argument and that, that he formed the opinion that Jimmy could have killed Stacy because of the way he looked when he's confronting this woman on the side of the road, but nowhere in his statement or his affidavit or however this got involved, does he say he pulled over and interceded? The impression that I got from the flash of the statement is that he saw it and just kept on driving. Right. Which, he's a law enforcement officer, and he sees a domestic altercation on the side of the road, which leads him to form the opinion that the man involved in the altercation could have killed his former fiance, and he doesn't stop and arrest Jimmy Finnell's ass. Right. Makes no Makes sense. sense. Makes no sense. And then, of course, they they all of these allegations. Uh, he he was accused during the he raped a woman in 2007, and during the investigation, and the other women came forward and accused him of other rapes, inappropriate conduct, conduct stalking, harassment. Um, most of those events occurred between 2004 and 2007. Only one crime was prosecuted, and Fennell pled guilty in 2008. All these other allegations are unprosecuted, unadjudicated allegations. With Ronnie right. Reed, all the unadjudicated allegations of rape and sexual assault between 1987 and 1996 are off limits, can't be considered because he hasn't been convicted. And yet Jimmy Finnell hasn't been convicted of all these other events, all these other crimes, and yet they're relevant to whether he killed Stacy. Even though they happened right. years after Stacy's murder. There was one inappropriate conduct. I think he was following someone or got her name and address and, and showed up at her house in around 1997-1998. But everything else was 2004 to 2007, long after Stacy's been killed. Uh, and then they, they talk about the statement Curtis Davis made to CNN, but they only talk about a very small part of it. They talk about the part where Curtis Davis said Jimmy Finnell told him he was out drinking the night before. And then they get their creative writing hats on to embellish Curtis Davis's statement and ignore the really important parts of Curtis Davis's statement, 
The first being that Curtis Davis said in that statement and in his testimony, he doesn't actually know what time Jimmy Finnell got home because he doesn't think Jimmy Finnell told him a time. He was assuming it was late because that's what it is when he does Little League with his grandchild. Or that's the impression that he got from what Jimmy said, but Jimmy didn't say a time. And Jimmy Finnell, we've got Carol Stites who physically saw Jimmy Finnell come home at 8 o'clock. True. So he got home at 8 o'clock. He was at home at 8 o'clock. They also ignored that Curtis Davis said Jimmy Finnell could not have strangled Stacy with a belt. Curtis Davis said if Jimmy called me and said something happened, Stacy's dead, you got to help me, Curtis Davis said I would have arrested him. And that Curtis Davis believes that Rodney Reed is the person who raped and murdered Stacy Stites and that while Curtis Davis forgives Rodney Reed, he believes that he... Uh, deserves whatever the state of Texas is going to do to him. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they claim uh, Fennell abused his wife and that she suspe- suspects that he killed Stacy. Well, his wife has never spoken publicly. That's hearsay and speculation. Um, <clears throat> he's Never been arrested for domestic violence. He's never been charged with domestic violence. He's never been convicted of domestic violence. With Stacy, Pamela Duncan, any other girlfriend, or his, his who may be his wife. I, I don't know what the status of his relationship is, but he may still be married to the woman. Even after everything. Right. So those are kind of the claims and, and kind of how the uh, the innocence movement works. And, you know, as I said, it's taking things out of context, taking a phrase or a sentence out of a witness statement and ignoring anything else that, that is in the witness's statement. Uh-huh that expands upon or puts the the statement they're using into some kind of context. So, and we'll we'll see more about that tomorrow night. Cuz that right. that comes in with the new claims. Okay. Well, definitely I mean, there's a push to uh Get Rodney some justice, quote-unquote, but like I said, I mean, it's just really overwhelming in my opinion that he did it. He hasn't put anything forth, in my opinion, that says that he has. That is correct. I I totally agree. I The DNA, I mean, you can you can stamp your feet and claim time of death is wrong all you want, but there are so many things that Dr. Baden Spitz don't mention that are not consistent with the time of death around midnight. Right. 
or before midnight. And there are so many things about their theory that aren't consistent with the timeline. If she was killed before midnight and left in the floor of the truck face down for four to six hours after death before being dumped, that's going to put the dumping after the car was discovered, after the truck was discovered. Right. If you're in the six-hour window. Of course, they don't say what time before midnight. Mm-hmm. They don't say 10. They don't say 11. They don't say 12. Um, so, you know, that's – but even at 10 o'clock, it's still going to be awfully close dumping the truck. And he still – he can't dump the truck any earlier than Paul Alexander's last pass through the high school. Right. So – the time of death at midnight with that four or six hour uh, or before midnight with that four or six hour hold on the body actually narrows the window for the return to Giddings rather than, than widening it. And it's an eight hour walk to get from Giddings to Bastrop or uh, to Bastrop from Giddings. Now there's apparently a statement from Carla Hall somewhere about seeing Finnell drives through her yard in Carol Stites silver Ford Escort. Mm-hmm. But Carol Stites didn't have a Ford Escort. She had a Ford Tempo. Right. And those cars don't look remotely alike. True. And apparently the Facebook post actually has a green car. Uh-huh. So Carla Hall's on Facebook given statements that are inconsistent with her testimony. Right. Basically. And if she's called to testify at a hearing because she now supports Rodney Reed, it's not going to end well for her. Right. So, all right. Let's put a bow on this one before blog talk Kills us. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us tomorrow, November 20th, 2019, beginning at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for episode 39. State of Texas versus Rodney Reed. In part two, we'll look at the claims raised in Reed's 10th state writ, which resulted in a stay of his November 20th, 2019 execution date. We'll also be joined in our second hour by Robert M. Phillips, the attorney for Jimmy Finnell Jr., Stacey Stites' fiance, and the man Reed supporters claim is the real killer. Mr. Phillips is a criminal defense attorney in Williamson County, Texas. With more than 25 years of experience, he's participated in over 200 jury trials and disposed of more than 3,000 felony and misdemeanor criminal cases at the state and federal level in Texas. In 1989, he was the first criminal defense lawyer in Williamson County history to be board certified 
as a specialist in criminal law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Fewer than 10% of all criminal lawyers in Texas are board-certified specialists in any field. In 2006, Mr. Phillips was named by Thomson Reuters among Texas super lawyers and featured in Texas Monthly Magazine, an honor accorded to only 5% of all Texas attorneys, and he's received an AV rating by Martindale Hubble, a reputable national attorney rating service. Until then, have a great night and stay safe. Good night.